I want to start off very quickly by addressing what might be an elephant in the room. Um, if you haven't ever spoken to me before, perhaps don't know who I am. My name is Luke, and if you're trying to guess the accent, uh, it's not Australian. Um, I'll pretend not to be offended if you thought that. It is, in fact, South African. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. I raise this point because my wonderful wife, Danielle, who's sat over there, we've been married nearly four years now, four years in June, and um, we have this thing that occurs occasionally in our household where I will perhaps say something to her, and uh, she'll respond with, sorry, what was that? And then I will repeat the question, the statement, whatever it was that I said, and then there will be a sort of a, a slight moment of awkward silence, and then she'll look at me and go, Yes, and we both know what's happened in this moment. What's happened is Danielle has given up trying to understand what I'm saying. And she's just hoped that yes is the answer that I need in that moment. So the question, why is this relevant to what I'm going to say today? Well, because of my accent, because of a funny word that I might use or a phrase that I say incorrectly or something like that, if you find yourself for a moment not understanding what I'm trying to say, if you just assume that I'm speaking in tongues and then ask the Lord for an interpretation, then we'll hope that by the end of the morning we're all on the same page. Sound like a good deal? Thank you. Good. I've been asked to speak today uh, from the series that we've been doing of Power For You, and uh, the title today is The Power Of Crossing Over. We're going to look at uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. And I'm just going to read the story through, and if you want to turn to it in your own Bible or on your app, you can, but otherwise it will be up behind me. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, Jesus said, do this and you will live. And sometimes I think if we simplified things, we could say, the Lord said, I must go and do it, and off we will go. But I think we tend to be, at times, a little bit like the religious expert because he wanted to justify himself. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho he was when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense, any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want to make my first point quite quickly, because then at least if you lose interest or fall asleep, you've gotten one point from this morning. <clears throat> and that is, right in the beginning of the story, well, when the Samaritan is introduced, and that is, it was just a Samaritan. 
Now, I don't know if you know this, but when the Bible was written, it wasn't written with chapters and verses and titles. It was just written as a letter or as a story, as a book. All these things, verses, chapters, were added in by us. And what is interesting is that the word good was never used to describe the Samaritan. He was just a Samaritan. And the people that I'm talking to today, the people that this applies to, it's you and me. It's just ordinary people with the expectation of doing extraordinary things. And interestingly, that was one of the prayers that really came through this morning during the prayer meeting. Us partnering with an extraordinary God, us as ordinary people, but doing extraordinary things with Him. We're not talking about the Christian heavyweights, the super Christians. It's you and it's me. When Jim Cascarini sat over there, who I've known for a little while now, having done youth with him <clears throat> and other things, when Jim became an elder, it was made quite clear to us that Jim wasn't being made an elder and then expected to do a whole load of things. But Jim, Jim already was an elder. The work that he did, the pastoral care that he gave, his actions already spoke of someone who was an elder. So when he was brought up and made an elder, it was a title given to a man that already had an office. His reputation, his actions had already dictated that he was an elder. It wasn't like it was just normal Jim one day and then he came up to the st on stage, was given the title of elder, and then suddenly he was Pastor Jim, kicking demons and such. He was the same the day before and he was the same the next day. I do want to say I'm an advocate for the, for the pastor term. I think we should all call him Pastor Jim from now on. I think he will, uh, think he will really enjoy that. We want to be known by our actions. We want our reputation to be one that is good. As Hope Church, it's a great name for a church. But we don't want it to just be a good-sounding name or a, excuse the pun, hopeful name. But we want it to be a reputational name. Do the hopeless outside when they're in desperate need think to themselves, I can go here because there's a reputation of finding hope in this place. I wonder if you've considered what your title is, how you're known. When I first joined my work, I was a bit quiet, and everyone thought I was a bit grumpy. Um, <clears throat> not me. But I actually, over time, had to work on the perception that people had of me because of how they initially thought, and my actions then dictated how they saw me. How do people see you? What do people think of as a description when they see you or think about you for the first time? Loving? Kind, gentle, grumpy, handsome? I'm not sure. The story starts off with two religious people, a priest and a Levite, coming along the road. These are two men that reputationally were men of God, but they didn't seem to have the heart of God in this moment. The, some of the commentaries that I read while I was working through this, pointed out that it's quite possible the reason they didn't want to engage with the man is that they would have presumed him dead. And then if they touched him, that would have made them ceremonially unclean. Their religion and their rules disqualified them and discounted for them from having an impact in helping the man. Perhaps we have rules and religious mindsets that stop us from having an impact on those around us. I was chatting to someone about my preach, and, and they told me a story I won't name and shame, 
But uh, they were on their way to community group. They were leading and had sort of prepared themselves and whatever. And as they went running out the door, they were stopped by their neighbor who asked if they could help bury their dead cat. And this person said, absolutely not a problem. I just need to be somewhere. Can I help you when I come back? Yes, not a problem. That's fine. Off he went. Or she. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> limited a bit. Um, they came back and, and the cat had been buried. Now, they had gone off to do a good thing to lead their community group. That's a good thing. But their religion, their rules had stopped them from helping their neighbor, quite literally helping their neighbor. I don't know about you, how much of an animal person you are. I think if our cat died, we would be on the phone to the intercessors. Uh, we would certainly want some moral support. There's a phrase, I don't know if anybody's ever said this before, so I'm going to claim it as my own. I've got t-shirts on sale at the back afterwards, make some money. Do what the Lord says, not what the law says. I'm not saying the Bible isn't important, the Ten Commandments, all that kind of thing. That's not the point. The point is, what is the Lord saying to you in that moment? Yes, we have to be early for ch- or on time for church. We have to do community. We have to do all sorts of things, all good things. But does our religion hinder us or does the Holy Spirit in us free us to be able to impact the world around us? We sometimes will have comfort zones, people, groups, or issues or needs that we are happy to help with. But then there might be prejudices or areas outside our comfort zone that we're not, we don't feel too willing to, to go outside of. Who's outside your comfort zone? What are the prejudices that you perhaps hold? Jesus' model to us was compassion for all. Samaritan, Jew, Gentile, Greek, Roman, leper, tax collector, Man City fan. (laughs) So we've reached this point where we've decided we don't want to be like the religious leaders. We want to be like the Good Samaritan. But how do we do that? What's the model of a Good Samaritan? There are four practical ways that that sort of jumped out at me while I was preparing. Firstly, he was just going along his way. In verse 33 it says, but a Samaritan as he traveled. He wasn't necessarily on the lookout. He didn't wake up that morning and think to himself, I'm going to go and find me some beaten up Jews to help out. He just knew that he needed to get from A to B. And as he was going along his way, he was willing to stop and help. I've got an illustration that I'd like to give you very quickly. I've asked three people to come out if they want to just uh, come out quickly. This is going to blow your mind, hopefully. Right. I have three men, anyway, whichever way you want. All of them have a need of some kind. I've woken up in the morning, I've said to the Lord, Lord, I want to journey with you this morning. I want to impact the world around me. And as I open myself up to the Lord and as I commune with Him and speak to Him and as I go along my journey, the Lord will bring along in front of me people with needs that I can help. Right? And you might think to yourself, well, that's great. 
fills needs to be met, what about theirs, right? As I stay in my lane, as I look to the Lord and trust Him, there are people that I will be able to impact. And in the same way, as you are in your lane and as you look to the Lord and trust Him, then He will bring people along your way and you'll have people that, whose needs you can meet. And we can't, sometimes we, we take the view that we need to help everyone. We need to run from one to the next to the next. And that's tiring. But we trust the Lord that He, God has a perfect plan and a perfect timing for everything, doesn't He? And as we commune with God and trust Him and look to Him and walk along the way that He's brought us along to, we will impact those that He wants us. And as we walk in community with two proverbial people next to me, we will go along and impact everyone around us. Thank you. What is interesting is that Jesus healed everyone he prayed for. However, Jesus didn't heal everyone that ever existed. But he listened to the Father, and he went where the Father told him to go. And a great, a great example is the pool of Bethesda, which I won't go into, but there, there was an area where there was a lot of sick people that if they could get into the pool, they would be healed. And Jesus goes in and he heals one particular man. But it's quite clear from the scripture that there are a load of sick people around. But God had a timing and a plan for that one man, and Jesus was obedient to God and staying in his lane. It's been spoken about before, um, or mentioned before on occasion here at Hope. The story in Nehemiah 3 that talks about building the wall in front of you. The story is of the Israelites going back to Jerusalem and having to rebuild the city wall. And everyone built the wall that was in front of, the section of the wall that was in front of their house. And that's what we do. We stay in our land. We build the wall in front of us. We trust in the Lord. And those around us will build their section and together we'll have a greater impact. Secondly, he was brave. The road that he was on was a well-known dangerous road. It was called a number of things, Red Road, Blood Road. It was a violent road. And he had a donkey, he had money, he had supplies. Yet he was brave enough to go along the road. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says it very well in the message Bible, it says, God doesn't want us to be shy with his gifts, but bold and loving and sensible. Billy Graham said, the will of God will not take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. It's not about being silly and taking risks, but we find our courage and our boldness in the fact that he who's in us is greater than he who's in the world. And it's out of that boldness of God, the spirit in us, that we are able to walk with boldness and impact those around us. Thirdly, he took ownership. It says that he stopped, bandaged the wounds, oil and wine, put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, paid for his night, covered in the extra expense. He didn't just say, oh, sorry about that or simply give him a, an ibuprofen. But he took responsibility 
for the man. In James 2, verse 14 to 17, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And I propose we could read that as well as, in the same way, love by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. He met the man's immediate needs. I think sometimes it's quite easy to have compassion on things and on people. We see a need and we feel compassion. But what we want is practical love, a practical outworking of our compassion for people. Sort of a part B of that, a follow-on thought, is the fact that the man had, that had built rapport and earned respect. He was trustworthy. He left the next morning telling the innkeeper, when I come back, I'll pay any difference. That's quite a brave thing for the innkeeper to do. How does he know that the man's not coming back? But he had, he had left a, a reputation he had shown he had integrity. And the innkeeper was willing to honor that. I wonder what type of reaction we leave behind us, whether we are seen as trustworthy. And it's not about being liked or popular. I'm not sure that as Christians we'll ever be liked and popular again. But are we trustworthy? Do we have integrity? Fourthly, he was equipped. In verse 34, it says, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The Samaritan had bandages. He had oil and wine. He was prepared to love. Now, throughout the Bible, oil and wine is very often used as metaphors and ways to describe the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go through all of these verses, but if you, if you want to jot them down, then, then feel free. But just to give you a bit of context, wine, well, <laughs> we all know what wine is, um, but it was used at the time to disinfect. And it speaks of the joy of life. And I had a little giggle to myself this morning when I was just thinking about that point, because there's the verse that says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it might just be me, but that kind of implies that there's such a thing as being drunk in the Holy Spirit. And are we full of joy? It's not something that we see a lot of in the world at times. Joy. The oil, the oil was used to soothe pain. And it speaks of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus walked with the Father. He did what he saw the Father do, said what he heard his Father saying. But in Luke, it tells a story of Jesus, just as he was beginning his ministry, unrolling the scroll of Isaiah and reading from it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we can only give away what we have. And so are we full with the joy? Are we full of the Holy Spirit? Are we full of his anointing and therefore able 
to give help and aid to people. This is good stuff. So where do I draw the line? We know that we want to be good Samaritans. We know that there are a few things that we can practically do. But do we now go and give money to every homeless person that asks? How do we draw the line? How do we quantify it? Firstly, stay in your lane, as I mentioned. You meet the needs of those that God puts in front of you. After this parable in Luke is the parable, or is the story of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are both doing good things. Martha serving, cooking, cleaning, hosting. Mary just sat at Jesus' feet. And when Martha came to Jesus to say, look, you know, Lord, I'm doing all this stuff for you. Can you get Mary to come and help me? Jesus said, no, no, no. Mary has chosen the better thing. You see, as we walk and commune with Jesus, that's our focus, and he brings people along our way. If we are moving from left to right and trying to chase after the needs of everyone, what we lose is this connection of empowering and filling with the Holy Spirit because we've lost time running from left to right. It's been described to me before, and I think it's a great way to describe it, like a pendulum, that as we press into God, we will then be pushed out into the world. And the encouragement is that the further we press into God, the more we know Him, the more intimate we are with the Holy Spirit, the greater the impact, I'm not going to run all the way to there, we can have out into the world. Last week, John Groves spoke about the demon-possessed man in Mark 5. The man was set free from a a legion of demons, a lot of them. And the man afterwards wanted to go along with Jesus. Jesus said, no, no, I need you to go and tell everyone what I've done for you. He was only able to do that, however, because of a moment of intimacy and encounter that he had with Jesus here that enabled him and empowered him to go and tell everyone about Jesus. He first had to come in. He first had to, have, had to have an encounter with the Lord before he could be pushed out into the world. I think there's a bit of a tension between just focusing our hearts on, on the Lord and pushing into him and helping everyone else. And I think the string that sort of ties those two together is Galatians 5.14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. While we don't pursue this, we don't, we do, well, we do pursue it, we don't just run after that and nothing else and get caught up in how many people I can serve. And we press into God, but the tension is that it's still a command, it's still something that we have to do. It's still something that we've been commanded to do. And so we tension those things between, Lord, I want to know your heart and I want to love you. And the thing is, God's heart is for the needy. And as we can capture something of God's heart, as we just focus on Him and press into Him, we can't help but have compassion and love for those around us.
I want to end by thinking about someone who's often not really given much thought in the story, and that's the victim. There's a man simply on his way who is beaten up, stripped, robbed, left for dead. And there might be some people here today who, who think, hey, Luke, that's great. You've said some cool things. That's nice. But I just, don't, I just don't feel like that at all. I don't think that's for me. Perhaps you feel like you've got nothing to offer. You don't feel like you're equipped. You certainly don't feel like you're brave. Perhaps even more so, you feel like a victim, like you've been robbed, beaten, left for dead. I want to encourage you firstly that's okay. And secondly, that God will send someone. But more than that, God has sent someone. John 14, 26, but the helper, this is from the Amplified Version, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He's here to comfort us. I went through an experience a little while ago where I understood something of that feeling of being empty and having nothing to offer and not wanting to be involved and engaged. But also thankfully know what it felt like for the Holy Spirit to come and comfort me and to strengthen me and what it was like to have someone come alongside. And I really believe that God wants to restore us he really wants to strengthen us. He really wants to make us brave. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4, it says, He who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We can give away what we've been given. Can I ask you to stand? That's okay. If the band could come up as well. I think there's an opportunity for us to respond in two ways this morning. I think those that feel like the victim, those that feel empty, like they've got nothing to offer, how can I make a difference? I'm not equipped. The Holy Spirit wants to empower us and encourage us, equip us. And I think also we have an opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit to come and make us brave, to come and equip us. Like I said, this is still a command. It's something that we should be doing. We should be having an impact on the world around us. Are we brave? Are we equipped? We're going to sing a song in a second, but I'd just like to pray. If you feel like the victim, if you feel like you don't have much to offer, why don't you just ask the Lord to come in and touch your heart to restore you? If you feel like you really want to have an impact around you but don't really feel brave, ask the Holy Spirit to come and make you brave, to come and equip you. We'll have a team just to my left afterwards as well if you want to, to do that more. Perhaps 
to show how brave you are, you could step out, come to the front, step into the aisle. Father, I thank you that you see us and know us and that you have sent your Holy Spirit for us, that you don't abandon us, that you love us and restore us and heal us. Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you to come this morning and work in our hearts that where we need your boldness, where we need your strength, where we need your equipping, that you would come. That you'd give us the oil and the wine. Father, will you send us out and help us to keep our eyes open to the needy around us that we can have an impact on the world around us will you help us and will you bless us Lord that we can be a blessing to those people around us I just want to say I just felt I was just an excellent exhortation this morning to us. Have you heard? It's what you know, it's it's what the Lord says, not what the law says. We all know what it's like, don't we? We've all missed moments where actually we've been too busy, we've been rushing around, and we've missed a moment. And we've we've all felt like that. We've all felt moments where we've not been brave, and we've known we've needed to be brave. And the answer, the answer is in him. It's drawing near, it's worship, it's asking, drawing near to God, asking him to fill us with his spirit afresh. This is a moment where we're going to engage right now. And so if you know you need to be filled afresh with the spirit, I do, <laughs> I'd like you to come to the front just as a sign, or step out into the aisle, just as a sign, God, fill me afresh. I want to be brave for you. I want to run. I want to go and walk it, go in my lane, the lane in front of me. I want to respond to you. I want to do what you say, not what the law says. I don't want to be driven by rules and regulations. I want to hear the voice of your spirit. This is the way. Walk in it. The Holy Spirit leads us like that. It whispers into our hearts. There are moments when we know we need to stop and spend time with someone. There are moments we need... We know we need to draw near to him. We need to be people who are of God's spirit, led by the spirit. They're sons, those who are led by the spirit are sons of God, sons and daughters of God. And so I'd love us to respond to God right now. Don't miss this moment. There's a bit of time this morning. And so as the musicians say, why don't you just step out and say, God, fill me afresh, draw near to me. If you feel that you're the victim, now's your moment. God, God, come and help me. You sent someone across the road, someone across the cosmos for me, crossed over for me. Why don't you respond right now? And we thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that we're loved by God. Thank you that you sent your son for us. Thank you that you gave your spirit to comfort us, counsel us, equip us, walk with us along the way. Would you be with us?
the rest of today and in the coming days. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would know you. Know your presence with us. The power, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. Father, as we, as you put people in front of us, as the people we meet that are in our lane in the coming week and weeks, Father, I pray that you would enable us to have time for them and to believe that as we pray for them, you could do anything in a moment in answer to a prayer. So, Father, be with us. As we have tea and coffee now, meet with us, be in our conversations, in Jesus' name.